Four Runners podcast. Today we'll be talking to Rob Hunter, the president and coach of Endeavor Running Company. When I first heard of Rob, I was at an injury clinic at Running Etc. and met a guy named Cliff. Cliff and I were shooting the breeze and he had told me about how much he'd improved as a runner after taking on Rob as a coach. Before I ever even met Rob, I ran into multiple people that had experienced similar leaps working with him. But I'll continue this story in part two of our interview. But for right now, let's go ahead and jump straight into Rob's story. But let's talk about your family. You got kind of a big one and it's growing, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> I have a wonderful wife, obviously. And then uh, my two kids with a third on the way. And anybody that knows me, obviously, that follows me at all, knows how much I love my family, right? Um, that's kind of where it all begins. Um, and that's part of one of the reasons I got back into running, believe it or not. Because I had kids later in life, and uh, I was 220 pounds and blew my hamstring from the top of my glute to the bottom of my knee simply kicking a soccer ball backwards. <laughs> my entire left leg turned purple, yellow, and black. Oh. And we're not talking like a you know, a soccer player kick. You're talking like kicking a rock kick. <laughs> and it blew my hamstring. So I realized that I needed to um be be healthy, right? Cuz even though I was 220 pounds um, I never quit being a runner. Yeah. I was just a runner who didn't run. Yeah. Right? Um, but ev my family drives is the, the driving factor behind everything that I do. Right? Not just in supporting them as a father, but in being a, uh, an example to my kids. Yeah. Right? They're going to grow up different than me. They're going to grow up with exercise and living healthy and being a part of the community is the normal. They're yeah. not going to know anything any different, right? Um, which I think is a good thing. It makes them comfortable. That's what they're going to expect out of life. Which is in complete contrast to the way that I grew up. So, um, yeah, love my family. They're the best, man. Yeah. When's your wife do? She is due, believe it or not, February 22nd. Um, but, oh my gosh. Yeah. Ticking time bomb here. Well, she has gestational diabetes, yeah. so they're going to induce her Tuesday. <laughs> oh, so you're about to... Yeah, I'm, you're we're going to have, have a, baby. a baby in three days. Yeah. <laughs> baby girl. Well, congratulations, because by the time this airs, you'll have had a baby. Correct. So, yeah, that, we're excited. Yeah. it's a, I heard a third, a third child changes the dynamic a little bit. It does, right? Um, my son immediately becomes a middle child like his father, which explains a whole lot because I've always said that I always thought he was a middle child anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, well, let's talk about your day job. Um, uh, people might not know that uh, coaching isn't your full-time thing. What, what do you do in, uh, What do you do as a career? So, um, I'm in engineering. Um, I'm a sales engineer for, for Cox. So I worked as in, uh, believe it or not, fiber optics for a long time, mm -hmm. um, building fiber optic networks, and then I got into the engineering side, and then got moved over to sales, which I suits me perfectly because I get to go and interact with people on a daily basis that I would 
otherwise never meet. And it gives us the opportunity to design things to fix people's problems, which mm -hmm. I, I love fixing things, hence the engineer side. Mm -hmm. um, but then the sales side allows me to have the personality and stuff that I do about being able to chat with people and build those, just meeting new people. One of the things that I love so much about running and my current job is I've always enjoyed meeting people. Like my happy space is in the middle of a crowd of people and I don't know any of them. Yeah. Because I'm going to walk away knowing a lot of them. Just because I find people as individuals so interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? The different backstories. The, you know, everybody has stories that they want to tell. And I just find that the human condition is so unique and intriguing that it's probably one of my favorite things. So yeah. the more I interact with people, the happier I am. Definitely not an introvert. Yeah. Awesome. So you're not the kind of guy that if our cable goes out, we don't we don't blame you. Not anymore. Um, when I was <laughs> oh, fiber splicing, it probably was me, but it wasn't just yours. It was everybody's. <laughs> That's funny. So um, you said you've always been a runner. You just were a runner that didn't run at a certain point in your life. But right. I remember in our first meeting, you had kind of told me that you do have you did have kind of running history in your youth. I did so. My youth, now you're taking me back. Um, what got me running is I used to race BMX bikes. Mm -hmm. People don't know this. I was pretty good at it, right? So um, my parents saved up for a very long time to get me a brand new racing bike. So because of that, I felt the need that if I was going to do this, that I needed to go into it with the best ability that I could. So I decided to join our junior high track team. Um, so I went out for the track team, and they tried me in the 100, the 200, the 400, and they'd had a rule where they didn't really cut anybody. Yeah. Um, so anybody that didn't qualify in the faster events, they put them in the mile race because they could run up to 20 to 25 people in a mile race. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. Had no running skills. They just put me in the mile. Um, and I think my first mile was a 5.15 took second and that changed everything for me um i had a really good coach who knew a lot about running wasn't a runner he was actually a collegiate wrestler um but he pulled me to the side and he was just so incredibly passionate that he literally changed the trajectory of the rest of my life yeah he did um i grew up i don't want to say that i grew up poor because i don't believe anybody is really poor in this country but um we lived in a two-bedroom trailer um, my parents both worked full-time um so we just didn't i didn't have a lot of direction if that makes sense my grades weren't the greatest i just didn't really know what i was going to do or what i was going to become and his passion for running and uh his passion for belief in what i could do with it changed a lot of that he you know i remember him telling me you do not have to accept your life as it is and you're the only one that's going to be responsible for how it ends up mm -hmm. um and then he just got me into running and literally worked me to death and the more he threw at me the more i took i just loved every aspect of it i used to have to ride my bike 12 miles to and from school every day because my parents couldn't pick me up after track practice. Mm. So 
that piece of that at that time, um, being of a lower economic level, not having a lot of high self-esteem because of that, it changed the dynamic when I when I started running more, I started getting more friends and things like that. And it just, um, the feeling of accomplishment, right? The first race that I, that I won. There's a quote, and I, and I forget who says it, but it was another coach in running who said that winning changes a person, right? When you win and when you get that success, when you apply yourself really hard and you achieve that goal, it'll stick with you for the rest of your life and everything that you do. And it has. Um, so I can look back at that time in my life and see where I was headed and see where I ended up. And yeah. knowing, learning those lessons in middle school and the lessons just in running in itself stayed with me for the rest of my life. And that's why I said um, I was a runner that just didn't run. Yeah. So in high school, I uh, went to a different high school because my junior high coach had moved to New Mexico and he wanted to take me with him because my my ninth grade year, I'd posted a 435 in the mile, which at the time was one of the fastest, if not the fastest ninth grade mile in the nation. Mm. So I had a lot of opportunity and he wanted to maximize that, but he had to take a job in New Mexico, which was at altitude. And my parents just couldn't do it. So they moved me to a different school district where we had there was a better track program and stuff like that um so i was catching a bus getting up at 4:30 every morning to catch a bus to high school and then afterwards catching a bus home and getting home at 7:30 at night school night every week um and then when i got older I, you know i would drive and things like that but my my home life was um, very chaotic. Um, my mother had a drinking and a, um, excuse me, um, prescription drug problem. So in my senior year, when I turned 18, I moved out mm -hmm. on my own, had a conversation with my mom. Um, it was a tough conversation, but after that conversation, she went into treatment. I was living on my own, working a full-time job, trying to go to school, trying to run, trying to pay my bills. And um, I just got completely overtrained with life, right? And walked away from running. Just, I got so beat up and burnt out in running and everything else. Um, but I just stopped. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I started coaching, believe it or not, because I didn't pick it up again until I was 36 or 37 years old, mm -hmm. right? Um, because between that time frame, there was really nowhere, no clubs were different here. We don't have a lot of the big clubs anymore that can pull kids that leave high school and or get out of college. They don't have anywhere to go, and a lot of them just stop running because they don't have an outlet to go to or a team to train with or a coach to train them. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the driving, biggest driving factors why I started coaching, but that's the reason I say I was a runner that just quit running. But it was always in the back of my head, the lessons that I learned. Even when I was 220 pounds in my mind, I was still this 150 pound kid, you know, running all the time. Yeah. And then just like everybody else, life starts happening and before you know it, you're in your mid thirties going, 
pulling your hamstring, kicking a soccer ball. And it's mm-hmm. like, how did I get here, right? Um, so I decided at that moment that that, that was going to change. And then I had to do it to, to be an example for my kids. Um, and more importantly, they see, they see how hard what we do really is, right, on a day-to-day basis. And being able to um, manage that with life and with coaching, with my other job, and then to see that is it, it teaches them firsthand how to deal with adversity, mm-hmm. right? And that you can. Yeah. You know, just to be an inspiration for my kids to show them, hey, listen, we don't walk away from hard things. You know, they ask me all the time, why do you run so much? I said, because it's hard, mm-hmm. right? Um, the hard things is where you learn the most about yourself. You don't learn anything by something that comes easy to you. The harder it is, the more you learn about the value of yourself. And that kind of exemplifies, you know, running as a sport. So, yeah. Um, and that kind of, that's what brings me back to that. So running really played a huge part in my life in many different ways. Um, ultimately, one of my biggest regrets was stopping when I did. Mm-hmm. Right? If I had any. Um, I would like to go back to that kid and say, hey, you know. Yeah. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be this way, right? There just wasn't any way to facilitate that. We're lucky in this area. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of opportunity for that. Well, let me ask you this. When you started again, when you were 36 or 37, did you face injury challenges? Because I feel like it's, it's a normal thing that I see and I currently experience myself is that when you're starting to run after not being active for a while that you face a lot of injury challenges. Did you did you find that? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, not only did I face an injury challenge, I had all the injuries. Oh gosh. <laughs> um and I've learned. Yeah. Right? That I think it's I think a lot of that comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of running itself. We have this idea of um how we commit to exercise and running. And what's actually going to make us faster and fitter. Mm-hmm. And because of that misunderstanding and that dynamic, we press ourselves and do things that not only don't make us fitter and healthy, they actually do the complete opposite. Um, and I don't know if it's an American thing, but I like to think that it is. That we just have this idea that the harder, the better. The harder we work, the more fit we're becoming. And that's just not true, actually. The opposite is true, right? Um, I don't think we're patient enough to, or have enough understanding that we need to be patient to give ourselves the opportunity to excel, right? Instead, we just think that we need to push harder. You know, mm-hmm. if we're not getting the results we need, it's because we're not working hard enough, right? That's the American way, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to get better, you work harder. Um, but that's not necessarily true in running, right? Yeah. And and I also think there's the reason for that, specifically being 36, middle age, or, you know, starting out, is we have a lot of physical ability, right? We have this general physical fitness and strength and power, um, probably more ability and power than our body has to maintain the loads that we're throwing at it. Mm-hmm. 
And there's some adaptations that have to take place to kind of get our body up to where our physical ability is yeah. to match that. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, patience, um, an understanding. Hence another reason why I really got into coaching. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. when, uh, when I went real deep into your social media, I saw that you were right around the time you were starting to run again, that it looked like you were part of groups that I don't see anymore around here. I saw uh, I saw a singlet that said Hampton Roads Runners. I also saw a singlet that said Run 413. What were those groups? So, um, Hampton Roads Runners. So this takes me back. When I first started running in this area, I met an individual um, that started, was a big part of one of the best running groups to ever come out of this area, and that's the Hampton Roads Runner. And that individual was David Phillips. Um, David at the time started a group of runners on Meetup. Hey, let's start a Meetup and come out and run with everybody. And so it was one of the first places that I found when I was getting back into running where I could get some regular group runs in. And I just remember running my first six mile run with David and him talking about how he's doing a 50K and after that a 50 miler. And it was, um, at that moment, I realized, I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's all these welcoming individuals. I met Thomas Hicks there. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, me and Thomas Hicks used to run on the regular. And then uh, another guy by the name of Dennis Welch, who doesn't live here anymore. Another extremely passionate individual in the area. Um, and HRR was huge, right? You would show up and there would be 30, 40, 50 singlets everywhere. And it's because we had these regular group meetups that everybody would go out to and do their thing and run. Um, we'd have socials, you know, we'd go and meet up and do socials and do birthday parties and do things like that. Um, and then just like anything, right, things grow, people move away, people start doing different things. Um, Dennis started developing, doing a little bit of coaching. I mean, him in the beginning kind of had a lot of great ideas about what we were going to do um, in helping the running community, right? The type of workouts, the type of training. Um, just having dreams about how you're going to get better, how you're going to get faster, how you're going to get stronger. And it kind of what kind of developed, because I never really thought of myself as a coach, right? And that was probably the time that kind of planted the seed for me, you know, that I could possibly do that. Um, and then there were some personal relationships falling out, right? Anytime you get a large group of people together, just as humans, period, people's feelings get hurt. Um, and there could be real consequences to that, you know, specifically in a community. Um, and because of that, I had to step away from HRR, mm -hmm. personally, and from my family, right? There was a kind of a divide that happened. Um, without bringing too much drama in the situation, it, it really comes back to people's feelings getting hurt. Mm -hmm. um, some valid, some unvalid, depends on who you talk to, right? There's two sides to every story, and usually the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, so I stepped away from HR and just started doing my own thing because of it. Because uh, I didn't want to create any more drama, and I didn't certainly didn't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So the club continued, right? It grew after that. And then um, there was a split that happened in that group again. 
and uh, Dennis started DWEP, Dennis Welch Endurance Project, which okay. I was never really a part of. And then some of the HRR folks stayed in HRR. And there, believe it or not, there's still some HRR there, folks running around. Oh, okay. Um, a little running history there. And then Dennis ended up moving to northeast, I think Maine somewhere. And I think he's still got um, some folks that he's coaching from okay. out of there. Um, what, how long was it between the time you, you started running again and the time that you became a coach? Let me think, when did I start? It's probably been seven years, seven, eight years. It was, it was seven years be between the time you started? Oh, uh, with a coach, it's been three, four, probably four years, gotcha. three, four years. Did you, uh, what made you... What really inspired you to, to pursue becoming a coach? Well, when uh, we were invited to be coaches for the, the JNA training team, the one that Ryan Carroll was on, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll help. You know, um, I'm a type of guy that believes that if you can do something, you should. And if you're asked, you should. Um, I don't necessarily believe that um, I think... I'm more a fan of doing like the simple things, right? Mm -hmm. Doing the nitty gritty, the hard work. So anytime that you can do something that you have no excuse, not even excuse, but yeah, I can do that. I think you should do that. So I was asked, so I did. And in, in doing that, it kind of created this um, thought in my head. Well, hey, you know, I kind of enjoy this. Yeah. Right? And I kind of enjoy being helpful to people. Um, I kind of enjoy inspiring people, you know, getting people to believe and seeing that they can do something that they don't know they can do. Mm -hmm. um, and then them doing that, right? And then the RRCA co uh, class was coming up, so I decided to get into that. And then I thought, you know, I had, and I was kind of helping some other people. Um, I was actually coaching not as a public coach, but privately yeah. for mm -hmm. a couple years before I ever started publicly coaching. And I just found that I enjoyed it, mm -hmm. right? It brought me happiness, right? I, I believe that there's two things that we do as people that truly bring us happiness. One of those is helping other people, and the other one is achieving. Mm -hmm. Running and coaching gives me both. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Let me let me ask you this. What is RRCA? It's a Roadrunners Club of America, right? It's an association of roadrunners nationwide, huge club. Um, and they put on a really good introductory course to coaching. Mm -hmm. The basics, right? Um, from how to apply the plan, um, the do's and don'ts, right? Uh, medical things, what you should and shouldn't recommend. Um, and they just put it in a structure and a format and they created a certification out of it so that when you see someone that's a registered coach, you know, okay, these people have been taught about how to approach coaching an athlete, how to keep them healthy, and what they things they shouldn't and shouldn't do as related to medical issues like you don't give medical advice to a client, mm -hmm. right? You're not a doctor. You don't give nutritional advice to a client. Mm -hmm. You're not a dietitian, that type of thing. 
Um, so I think that if you see anybody with an RICA certification, at least it gives you some sort of, okay, these people have enough care and coaching that they're going to go in and, and learn about it to, to get a certification piece. Same thing with USATF, same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they're another certified coaching program that you can see. And a lot of high school and um, college coaches have that. I mean, there's furthering education in both of those for, you know, um, track and um, full-on coaching programs. I think it goes all the way up to USATF 3, mm -hmm. which I think the only USATF level 3 rated coach in the area is Ryan Carroll. That's a tough one to get. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, but, yeah, they're a great organization. They do a lot not just for coaches but for running clubs, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of like a – What's the word I'm looking for? They give people the ability, like the coaches, the clubs, and the race directors, um, because they're such a large organization, they allow us to be able to, uh, to provide, well, they provide insurance coverage for everything that we do that protects the athletes, protects the clients, and protects the coaches, and does it in a way that's affordable for people. Um, and makes it very easy right um for the races we put on mm -hmm. um that's why i took the race director course as well yeah um same thing the race director course is actually really good for anybody that's never really organized a race i highly recommend it i, I learned more things in that than i think you could anywhere else yeah you um shared recently didn't they have a a class here recently or is it coming up so we are hosting an RRCA course as a club, so um, we set up a location for them to come in and certify more coaches in the area. So if you have an interest in becoming a coach, even if you don't think that you'll ever really use it, I recommend it. It's it's a really good two-day course. Um, we don't get any money from that at all. We yeah. don't make any money off of that. It's just a, it their courses aren't usually located so closely um, and it's kind of hard getting them nailed down to a certain time and date to do that. We've been trying to do it for a year and a half to give you an idea, right? So we're, and I think there's still slots available in that course. Gotcha. What day is it? Or what, what's the, what are the dates? You would ask me if that, I could. We can, we can find yeah, out. Yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell you right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, there might be a lot of people interested in checking it out, you know? Uh, there is. Um, yeah. They just released it publicly. You can go to the RRCA website and click on Coaching Courses in Virginia. It'll show you not just our time and date, but everybody's time and date nationwide because they hold probably 30, 40 co courses a year across the country yeah. every year. Yeah. So, spoiler alert for those who are listening, Rob started a company called Endeavor where he um, does several things, but mainly coaching um, but my quick question before we end this episode is was it JNA training where you really sharpened your coaching skills is that what you feel like or where where were you able to sharpen your coaching skills before you uh, gained the competence to to start Endeavor so with JNA I was an assistant coach for one year and then the rest of the time with them I just helped out where I could. Um, I managed some of their elite, when they came in for the Shamrock, um, I was the elite coordinator for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then I would go out and um, really just interacting with the community. Like I said, I was coaching 
um, a couple people on the side. And a lot of my true knowledge, right, of understanding started with HRR, with me and Dennis Welch. Oh, okay. Um, because we got pretty heavily bouncing information off each other and going through the different coaches from Lydiard to um, Jack Daniels to some of um, Frank Shorter's stuff, going back to some of the older people's stuff and kind of reading what they're doing. One of my heaviest um, influences was uh, is actually Bill Squires. Um, he was the coach of some of the, without a doubt, the most best-known coaches, uh, best-known uh, marathon athletes in the United States. Yeah. He coached Bill Rogers. He coached um, Salazar when he was in high school. And if you and if you go back and read what this guy said, there's a good book that I have that, that that's got all his training in it. I learned from that pretty quickly that the and just in reading some of the science and stuff behind it, that there's been a big misunderstanding about how we should train. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a big advantage to training in your aerobic heart rate zone. We could go into that in the detail, but You've been down that yeah. tunnel with me before. Um, the science of running's simple, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to get any groundbreaking news that comes through on how we should train to be faster runners. Um, and it's pretty straightforward and easy to do. If you if you follow the recipe, you're going to get results. I think where the struggle comes in is a coach, right? And this is probably where I got most of it from, is just having conversations with people about what's going on with their training. Talking to so many different people and hearing what they were dealing with and what the result of it was and who was succeeding and what they were doing. Yeah. Right? Um, And then it's a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. Right? Knowing your sport and understanding it. And then taking that knowledge and applying it to my own training to gain understanding gotcha which is something that I teach my athletes and it's something that's important to me as a coach I don't want to just write training plans for people I want to educate them so that they don't necessarily need me anymore yeah when it comes to understanding the running you're still always gonna find that having a coach helps because it's really hard when you're in the middle of it to make that decision about what's good for you. Because yeah. as a runner, we're going to make the bad decision to do something that hurts us. Uh, a coach's true calling is to hold an athlete back. That's interesting. Not to press, yeah, right? Yeah. But to hold them back and give them the confidence they need to believe that they can do what they don't know they can do. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that just comes from being able to listen to people and to get them to believe in themselves and apply a training plan that builds confidence. I don't need to tell you you're going to run better. Your training's going to make you believe you're going to run better. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. Yeah. And um, most of that came from applying it to my own running, yeah. honestly. And then just paying attention to the people that are succeeding, right? Well, what do they have in common, right? A lot of it is like one of my best friends, who's a great runner, Renee Heim, 
never met an 830 mile she didn't like. There's a lot of success in that, mm -hmm. right? You know, oh, you want to slow? I'm good, yeah. Um, because part of what makes us great runners makes us really bad at training it. <laughs> yep. And that's really where a lot of success comes. Yeah, I, when I started uh, with you, I was really shocked at how how slow I was supposed to go. Like, I, it's really funny because I had that 30 minute PR at the Norfolk Harbor half and people were like, not a, not a bunch of people, but a couple people were like, what the heck did you do? And I was like, well, I got a coach and if you just want the basic gist of it, I just ran slow 100% of the time. Like that was my, like, let me correct you. Okay. And this right here, this little exchange is going to, yeah. it's going to articulate perfectly where I think a lot of people struggle. Yeah. You didn't run slower. You ran aerobic. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, people interpret that as slow. Like I, I just, they relax. I just ran relaxed. For miles and miles and miles, hours and hours and hours, it just ran relaxed. Well, you ran your aerobic training. So yeah, yeah. You got to be specific, right? Yeah. There's some, and it seems subtle, right? It seems like that I'm mincing words, right? Oh, you're mincing words. It really means the mm -hmm. same thing. It actually doesn't, mm -hmm. right? Because one day, your aerobic zone pace won't be slow. Yeah, yeah. But it'll still be aerobic. Mm -hmm. So and. For those of you listening that may not understand that exchange, let me let me explain a little bit. Um, my my theory and philosophy, my belief, and the science backs it. There's there's heart there's specific heart rate zones that you can train in, um, and the one that I think is the most underutilized is the aerobic training zone. Um, it's the one where you build a lot of the muscular and mitochondrial adaptations. That number one physically make your muscles stronger but number two actually make you faster um, and not in the short term but in the long term and there's the confusion because although all aerobic training paces are easy not all easy paces are in your aerobic zone mm. interesting thing though and this is kind of where people get confused an aerobic training zone isn't necessarily aerobic metabolically. When you race a 5K for 80% of that race, you're metabolically aerobic. But it's why training in your aerobic zone is so important because even in the shortest race that you will probably run, one of the biggest determining factors to how well you're gonna race that is your aerobic capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, that changes when you get into a more advanced form of running. It really does, right? You get to a point where um, your foot turnover and everything else become a much bigger factor. But for the general of the people that I coach, um, getting them to build their aerobic system by training in that aerobic zone brings them results that, and more importantly, keeps them healthy. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many, uh, how many athletes that are part of Endeavor have talked to me personally and said, just stay in the zone, man. Like stay in that aerobic zone. Like, and they they say just from experience how much wonder it's worked.
We hope you enjoyed part one of our sit down with Rob Hunter. If you're interested in learning more about Rob Hunter or Endeavor Running Company, you can find Endeavor Running Company on the World Wide Web at the website runendeavor.com. You can follow them on Instagram at runendeavor and you can find them on Facebook just by looking for the group Endeavor Running Company. Next week on part two of our sit down with Rob Hunter, you can expect to hear Rob talk about starting Endeavor Running Company. You can expect to hear him talk about some of his personal races and goals. We'll even have exclusive breaking news for Endeavor Running Company. This is Danny. Signing off, Godspeed. <laughs>